This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back, 2023. Goodness gracious, this month went by fast. Only a few days ago, I was looking at a beautiful lake in northern Quebec, and now I'm here looking at Lake Ontario. Well, no, I'm looking the other way from Lake Ontario, and I can't see it from North York anyway. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Michael McNeely reviews a few films featured at this year's Sundance Film Festival, and Karen McKay from the Centre for Equitable Library Access will run you through this year's shortlist for Canada Reads. We'll also have an interesting roundtable chat run by Mike Ross, but before we get to any of that, here's the regional news update. Beginning in British Columbia, BC's Public Safety Minister, Mike Farnworth, says the government needs more information to decide on Surrey City Council's request to return to policing authority back to the RCMP. Farnworth says there are many factors to consider. This is a Surrey decision. The Surrey made the decision to move to a municipal police force. Surrey's making a decision to move back from a, to, to the RCMP. Uh, my role as minister is to ensure that there is a proper uh, and safe plan to do that. And that means ensuring safe and adequate and effective policing, uh, not just in Surrey, but in the region and the province. A previous city government had created a local police force in Surrey, but the new Surrey City Council voted in December to keep the RCMP. Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke says this leaves the city in limbo. It comes as a surprise to me only because uh, we thought we were getting a decision by the end of the month, and certainly that was what had been indicated up until this point. Um, but again, the minister uh, has to realize that this is critical not only to the city, but to the residents, and certainly for those police officers that are waiting for assurances. Over to the prairies, about 700,000 Manitobans will be receiving checks for inflation relief. Premier Heather Stevenson laid out the dollar figures. We'll provide payments of $225 per single person and $375 per couple. People with a net household income of less than $175,000 will be eligible. NDP leader Wab Canoe expressed cynicism after the government announcement. Well, my first thought with the package announced today was uh, this is a sure sign we're in an election year. Government has to go to polls in a few months, and uh, here they are. They're going to send checks to everybody in the province. Over to Ontario, a story we've been following closely all week long. Toronto police, Toronto's police force is increasing its presence on the city's transit system in light of recent violence. More than 80 officers are expected to be placed across the TTC, effective immediately. TTC Chief Executive Rick Leary says the agency still has a lot of work to do. We don't know exactly what is behind these incidents, but we know that the root causes are complex and they're going to require a coordinated approach and response. Today is another step to addressing these issues. And finally, in the Atlantic provinces, nine PEI community organizations are receiving funding funding to pay for raising awareness about violence against women. The province says more than $120,000 is being invested through the grants. The grants are set up to support projects that will enhance awareness, education, and action aimed at preventing violence against women on the island. That's your look at the regional news. Brock Richardson is here for a sports chat. Brock, all week you've been on the Paris sport beat with international events going on in Sweden, with events happening closer to home here in Toronto. So you want to give a Paris sport update. What's going on? So let's do the uh, wheelchair basketball first. We had uh, two wins yesterday. The first one was uh, 62-53. And then in the afternoon game, Canada won again 62-58. This means that they are... 3-0 3-0 in the first uh, three games, which is a total of six. Today's game, which I am attending, will be at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, the Para Nordic skiing um, 
we have a total of 12 medals and look at this it's four four uh gold four silver and four bronze nice. for that so uh very simple to run i will say dave i'm a little bit disappointed in the sense that when i tried to google uh para nordic skiing world championships what i was brought to was the nordic skiing world championships on the uh conventional sports side i did not find a website the only website that i found was the canadian paralympic committee so a little bit disappointed in that regard but at least they were keeping us abreast of what was going on uh during such time but well congratulations yeah. to the athletes who picked up the win brock when you go to this wheelchair basketball event later today are you treated like a rock star as you know former paralympian brock richardson we shall see. We okay. shall see. Okay. <laughs> we we just we just interviewed uh, Patrick Anderson uh, last week on the neutral zone, so I'm hoping to uh, meet him as well. And uh, we we've, we've uh, participated in a couple of games together, so he uh, may recognize okay. me. Although my waist is a little bit bigger today than it was uh, eight years ago, but you should still be able to recognize. I can me. I can empathize with that one, Brock. I can empathize with that one. But you're but you're saying nobody's going to be waving palm leaves on you and feeding you grapes as you're watching the game. No, I would imagine not. Okay, all right. We can always dream. Uh, Brock, let's go to a weekend look ahead because after you're done taking in the wheelchair basketball, there's lots of good sports on deck. Why don't we begin in the world of football? Because you and I are both excited for what should be a very exciting game of conference championships on Sunday afternoon into Sunday evening with the first game taking place in Philadelphia, the San Francisco 49ers visiting the Philadelphia Eagles. What's on your radar in this game? Listen, I am really rooting for uh, Joe Burrow and the Bengals, but I think they're really coming up against a team in Philadelphia that really seems to be really complete. And uh, it's it just, it, it, oh, sorry, wrong one. As I'm reading, yeah, you you abandoned uh, you abandoned your fellow Brock. San Francisco. I, I'm rooting for San Francisco 49ers in in uh, Brock Purdy in this one, but I think. Philadelphia is uh, is the better team in this situation, and they will run up against a complete team overall. You used a word there, run. Philadelphia has had an incredible run offense all year, and even though the San Francisco defense is billed as being incredibly physical, they are a bit undersized. They're more built for speed than they are power. So if Philadelphia can get their power running game going early and start moving along some of the smaller defensive tackles of the San Francisco 49ers, that could be a huge, huge advantage. On the flip side, your fellow Brock, Brock Purdy, the rookie quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, I got a tidbit for you here, Brock. He played his college football at Iowa State for the Cyclones. Philadelphia Eagles, their defensive staff, not their defensive coordinator, but two key members of their defensive staff were the defensive coordinators at Iowa State University while Brock Purdy was there. If there's anybody who knows what Brock Purdy's all about, it's the Eagles. So the Eagles are in a situation here on, on Sunday as the home team, as arguably the more powerful team, and with perhaps a little bit of insight on Mr. Purdy. Yeah, and you know what? I I, I like what uh, San Francisco has done and uh, Mr. Purdy being the, the, you know, rookie and the underdog. And he has been the underdog in all of the games, I would argue, or most of them uh, in the playoffs. And they've really played that role really well. And it's been fun to watch. And when you have almost sort of no pressure, if you will, you can play really well. And I think this is what we've been seeing, but I think, like we've said, you know, Philadelphia has just been really complete and they just, they can do it all with you. They can run at you. They can throw at you. They can do trick plays, you know, all kinds of things they can throw at you. And so we'll see what happens, but I'm thinking Philadelphia will win this one. And I'm not going to say a runaway, but I think it will be pretty well uh, one. Like it's not going to come down to the last two or three minutes in my opinion. That's my lean, too. I feel Philadelphia is going to win this game the more I've thought about it all week and done a little bit of tapes, tape research because I'm that kind of uh, fanatic when it comes to these things. Brock, you were ahead of yourself talking about the Kansas City Chiefs playing host to the Cincinnati Bengals in the evening game. This one is uh, for a lot of marbles and a lot of bragging rights. Uh, yes. So here's the, the two pieces of this that I'm looking at. Uh, Patrick Mahomes... I. All things are pointing to the fact that he will be playing with 
a high ankle sprain. The question will become, how much will this affect him? We don't know. He's played with injuries in the in the AFC Championship game before. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, this uh, thing, when we look at Cincinnati, uh, considering Joe Burrow, I don't, nobody really tends to want to believe in the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow, even though they've been to the Super Bowl, they were there last year. Uh, everyone still wants to say, well, are we going to see them again? If they get to the Super Bowl this year and happen to win, that to me is going to be what's going to solidify them. I still think you're going to have those naysayers if they win the AFC Championship say, yeah, well, they did that last year. They know Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes was injured. So all that's going to be. But I really like Cincinnati and I like what they've done, even though they beat my Bills. I just like their style. They they just know how to beat defenses. So we'll see. What happens? They've got a lot of swagger and they've got something to prove. I would say pretty much up and down the evaluation, they are better than Kansas City. Better defense, better wide receivers. The only two areas where Cincinnati, Kansas City is better is their offensive line and their tight end, Travis Kelsey. I, I suppose a healthy Patrick Mahomes is better than Joe Burrow, but with that high ankle sprain, I seriously question his ability to be elite, 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 the top of the game. So this game is going to come down to whether or not Kansas City can run the ball, control the ball, and keep the ball out of Joe Burrow and that Cincinnati offense's hands because uh, they're looking to score, and they do not fear the Chiefs. They've beat them three times in the row, including last year in the AFC Championship game, but this is a heavyweight tilt on Sunday evening and one that I am very much looking forward to. Brock, football's not everybody's bag. Hopefully they haven't turned off this sports chat just yet because you want to offer a couple of recommendations for things to take in if football's not your thing. Yeah, so if if uh, football's not your thing, I've got a couple of things here for you. First of all, the uh, Winnipeg Jets are playing the Philadelphia Flyers. I had my schedule all kinds of mixed up uh, th this weekend, but they are playing the Philadelphia Flyers on Saturday. And look, this is a sneaky good team. This is a team that I, I don't think anyone's expected them to do as well as they have. They've, Connor Hellebuck's been winning games just ever so quietly. And, you know, their team's been putting together wins. And then, of course, if if uh, hockey's not your thing, we've got a back-to-back -back basketball game against the Golden State Warriors with the Toronto Raptors and the Portland Trailblazers back-to-back -to -back tonight and Saturday. So lots to check out if you're not a football fan. And, I, and I've got a game for you Saturday night at 6 p.m. Eastern time on TSN2, the SEC and the Big 12, two American col uh, college conferences are getting involved in a little basketball event over the weekend, sending their top teams up against one another across the board. The Tennessee Volunteers and the Texas Longhorns, the number four ranked team in the country, going up against the number 10 ranked team in the country with football coming to an end. It's time to start taking in more basketball. 6 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow night, TSN2. That's going to be a good one. Brock, enjoy your trip into Toronto today for the uh, basketball event and enjoy a busy weekend in sports. And hopefully your wife isn't too mad at you by the end of the weekend. We will do. There'll be a little bit of recording going on this weekend as I have extra birthday celebrations happening on Sunday, but I will be caught up by the time we get here on Monday. Ah, uh, the, the beauty of PVRs on your cable box. Brock, thank you for this. Thank you. That is Brock Richardson. He is at the AMI Sports Desk. Mike Ross is at the AMI Weather Desk. This is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We begin in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it'll be cloudy today with some flurries. The temperature falls to minus 3 and the wind chill minus 10 this afternoon. In Charlottetown, PEI, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of minus 4 and a wind chill near minus 12. St. John, New Brunswick will be mainly sunny with a high of minus 3. The wind chill this morning, minus 15. This afternoon, minus 9. In Quebec City, it'll be sunny today with a high of minus 9. The wind chill will be minus 16. <clears throat> In Toronto, cloudy skies, the high is 0, and the wind chill minus 13. Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario is getting snow today with a high of minus 2. The wind chill minus 24 this morning, and that'll go up to minus 9 in the afternoon. Let's go to Brandon, Manitoba next, where there'll be clearing skies. The temperature will be minus 20. The wind chill minus 27. 
in Regina, Saskatchewan. Cloudy with a temperature of minus 17 this afternoon. The wind chill there, minus 25. In Lethbridge, flurries with a high of plus one and a high of uh, uh, minus, or rather, the temperature will fall to minus seven in the afternoon. The wind chill is minus 11. Red Deer, Alberta has flurries today. Minus 11 is your high. The wind chill there, minus 17. Whitehorse, mainly sunny today with a high of minus four. The wind chill will be minus 12. In Kelowna, BC, cloudy skies and a high of six degrees. And in Vancouver, it's cloudy today with a high of 7. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Mike, stay right there for a second because you rightly identified something during the news panel where I may have gotten a little overzealous about business write-offs and business expenses. Uh, Give it to me, Mike. Give Give me the pushback. Well, I, I think the, the thing that sort of jumped out to me is that while I think a lot of people would join you in criticizing large corporations and what they get to to write off, um, there are a lot of small business people and independent contractors out there who take on expenses related to their business uh, because their whole their whole livelihood is based on themselves. It is not a corporation. And so when you talk about the small business person in this country and some of the things that they get to write off the pushback for me comes uh you know from a criticism i've received from uh, uh, someone in the past that said that i was ripping off the system or i wasn't paying my fair share and so i explained you know to this person that you know i don't have vacation pay i don't have uh, benefits uh, any of any of those things that 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 i do get um I, I would have to pay for for myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of there are a lot of um, benefits and there there's a lot of money that you end up quote unquote leaving on the table because you are working for yourself. Um, and so when when some of those write offs come into play through your incorporation, uh, I I just think it's a fair point to to point yeah. out that that you know they're not. The, the the large you know multinationals they're individuals uh, who can often do without in in, in things like benefits and and vacation mm-hmm. and things like that and um and so I think it's it, it can be a, a fair trade off or a fair trade off when you actually start to dig in on some of those numbers yeah I think that's some great perspective and I appreciated you flagging that one for me Mike thank you you bet. That's Mike Ross. He'll be back a little bit later in the hour. But coming up next, a different Michael stops by. It's Michael McNeely with a review of a few films that were featured at this year's Sundance Film Festival. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. The 2023 Sundance Film Festival is underway in Salt Lake City, Utah. Here with an update on the festival and some of the highlights is Michael McNeely. Hey, good morning, Michael. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm well. Michael, you have been attending the festival virtually from the comfort of your own home. So far, how's your experience at Sundance this year? It's been very positive. Um, earlier in the um, school year, I guess, we started talking to Sundance and asking them questions about what the accessibility would be like. And they have been more than forthcoming. They've been very engaging. They've been communicating with me. I've been able to share some of my recommendations to improve accessibility. And we've kept that conversation going forward. And I'm happy to see that a lot of the changes that we requested have been implemented. Now you may have heard of some controversy this year during Sundance because um, during the screening of a film called Magazine Dreams, Molly Matlin walked out with the jury and that was because the captioning machines were not working at the time which is an experience that I had back in 2020. But I want to say that despite a few hiccups, I feel very welcome at this festival, being able to watch movies virtually. 
Now, you've been taking in as many films as possible and have a few reviews to share. Let's start with a psychological thriller titled Eileen, starring Anne Hathaway. The film is about a woman who works at a prison facility. Her friendship with a new co-worker takes a sinister turn. What were your initial reactions to this film? Well, at first, I really appreciated the tone of the film. It was like a Hitchcock thriller. Um, it was very moody and cinematic. The shots were well done and constructed. The prison was kind of frightening to watch. Um, and Anne Hathaway was excellent as the prison psychologist who has to overcome some sexism at the prison. The main character is played by Thomas and McKinsey, who also did a good job. However, despite these positives, I ended up not liking the movie as much as I wanted to because I thought the plot twist at the end kind of took away from the message of the film. So if would you end up recommending this film regardless of that a lacking plot twist? Well, I don't think the plot threads were resolved. So ultimately, I don't want to recommend this film. I'm sorry. Right, very good. Next up is a documentary, still a Michael J. Fox film. Of course, one of the angles explored here is Michael J. Fox's experience with Parkinson's. Why is still inappropriate to use when describing Michael in this documentary? Well, as you may know, Michael, Michael was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 1990. He kept it a secret from the public in 1997 which means that he did have Parkinson's when he made Back to the Future Part 3. An interesting note in the documentary is that if you see Michael J. Fox fidgeting with something on, on the screen, he was probably trying to mask one of the Parkinson's symptoms. Um, still is chosen as a title because Michael J. Fox literally never stands still or sits still. He's always moving, and that's probably a result of the Parkinson's. But even before he had Parkinson's, he was someone that moved quickly through life. And he's just saying with the title of the film that he wishes he had time to reflect on things. And now, as a result of the Parkinson's, he's able to reflect on every movement he makes in his life, unfortunately and fortunately. What did you enjoy about this film? I really enjoyed Michael J. Bosch's sense of humor. I think he is um, brilliantly funny. He's he's the master of the short quip. Um, he mentioned to the interviewer and director of the film that he often has a lot to say, but because of his Parkinson's, he can't quite communicate the message across. I also appreciated the reenactment scenes. Um, I was I was confused because I wasn't sure if Michael J. Fox was acting in those reenactment scenes or if they found someone that looked like him. But in any case, I was entertained, and that's the main thing you want in a documentary, especially a documentary that is fueled by a celebrity. Last but not least, there is the film Fremont, which follows a woman who served as a translator for U.S. troops in Afghanistan. What were your thoughts on this film? I loved this film. So um, the main character is played by a woman named Anita Seda. She is actually, in real life, she's an Afghan refugee. Um, she was a journalist in Afghanistan, and she had to flee for her own safety after ISIS took over. And so ultimately what we're looking at here is the story of a young woman who is um, who is acting from experience, lived experience, and a story where it's funny because she works in a fortune cookie company um, and she makes fortune cookies, but she could be she could not be any more deadpan. She's just brilliantly funny and making making fun of the situations that she finds herself in as she tries to custom herself to the United States is really what the movie is all about. 
So it reminds me of Limbo, which we talked about last year and which I loved very much. And I also am happy to enjoy this movie the same way as well. You said you loved it. So I'm just going to go under the assumption that you're recommending this film once it comes out. Yes, because that would be strange if I said I loved a movie, but I didn't recommend it. Well, maybe um, maybe you just want to keep it for yourself. You're like, no, no, only I can have this movie. Only I can enjoy it. No, I, I can't do that as a professional professional application. I have to share everything that comes my way <laughs> if I love it. But one of the funny things about this film is that um, the main character comes across a lot of different men who try and give her advice, and some of them give her bad advice. And there's a psychologist that's played by Greg Twickington, and he's just obsessed with the book White Fan. So it turns out that she ends up comforting him in a time of need. So I think that I think everyone will find something funny with this movie and it's worth a shot. Sundance Film Festival continues until January the 29th, so you still have a few more days to take in more content. What's next on the docket? And more movies, more or less. So um, it's going to be a few long evenings, I guess. But uh, I really also enjoy it. Um, you hurt my feelings. This is a film with Julia Lewis Dreyfus. So I'm still discovering more titles that we'll be able to talk about in the year to come. And then after that, I have to catch up with all the releases that have been hit in the theaters and who. Very good. Well, Michael, thank you for this. Enjoy the rest of the festival. Yes, and thank you for listening to me today. <laughs> we always appreciate it. That's Michael McNeely. Sundance is running from now until January the 29th. For more information on the festival, you can visit sundance.org. That's sundance.org. And you can follow Michael on Twitter at Michael McNeely. Michael D. McNeely. Michael D. McNeely. That's Michael D. McNeely. McNeely is spelled M-C-N-E-E-L-Y. Coming up after the break, we round table it up. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's roundtable time. Zreen Abdelmajid and Ramya Amuthan are standing by, but we hand things over to the conductor of this roundtable. It's Mr. Mike Ross. Wow, geez, where's my baton? <laughs> Everyone rise. Uh, here's the... Uh... Uh, the uh, violin player ready to lead us. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, so uh, when I was thinking about a topic for today, I thought about the uh, Bell Let's Talk campaign. And, and it popped into my head last night because I was watching a TV show that I recorded earlier in the week. And it it was recorded, it, it was on a CTV channel, which is owned by Bell Media. So every, felt like every other commercial break had a promo for Bell Let's Talk. And this is an initiative where Bell in, in the past has donated to various uh, mental health initiatives for every hashtag that people uh, put on the end of a social media post on a particular date. And anecdotally, just this is just my experience. I don't have the, any facts or, or numbers to put behind this, but my experience has been in, in past years that my social media feeds were just absolutely jammed with people adding that hashtag let's talk to the end of a, a gazillion posts that they would put out there on that particular day. It just felt like people were putting out extra material and content onto social media on that day, excuse me, on that day, just to get that hashtag out there. This year, though, felt a little different. I was on social mm. media that day, and I don't know. I mean, I saw a few people posting it, but nowhere near what I felt was sort of like this this avalanche of, of tweets and Instagram posts with that hashtag. Mm -hmm. So I started wondering, you know, it, it, 
did you did you guys participate at all? Did you guys hashtag it? And, and what's what was your impression of this year's event versus what you maybe have noticed in the past? And if, in your opinion, it also seemed like it maybe slowed this year, why do you think that's so? That's that's the first question I have about that, Dave. Mike, I had the exact same anecdotal observation that it seemed way less present on social media yesterday. It was still one of the more trendy topics on Twitter. I checked the Canada trends a couple times, but typically in years past, it's been number one or number two all day long. It spent most of yesterday a lot closer to say, I don't know, four, five, six. So it never quite reached that critical mass that you typically saw. So I observed the exact same thing, but you never know with algorithms, right? You never know what our Facebook or our Twitter is showing us relative to what's actually being posted. So let's try to broaden out our scope and our sample size a little bit. Uh, Ramya, did you notice that perhaps there were less posts going out yesterday? It felt like it for sure. And I think, you know, I'm trying to figure out what makes it okay that, um, you know, we're not necessarily having conversations around Bell Let's Talk Day, but what else is going on that may be still beneficial that is around Bell the Let's Talk? You know what I mean? The initiative mm-hmm. has spun into what? And I think that we're having more mental health conversations on social media overall. So I'm hoping that Bell Let's Talk made a big difference on this scenario and just like people being more candid and having mental health discussions and um, talking about their own struggles or challenges or just real, real conversations. So I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, several years of Bell Let's Talk has made that influence on social media which you know fingers crossed that's the the case but definitely specifically bell let's talk tiktok instagram twitter everywhere was way less yeah ramia i i like the way you phrased that that perhaps we've reached a critical mass and we've changed the cultural perception in the way we're talking about mental health that doesn't necessarily require one individual awareness day that we're a lot more cognizant of it certainly on this show we have a mental health contributor uh, kelly braun johnson and i this past monday talked about suicide prevention and talked about the honest conversations that are required in workplaces around suicide prevention so maybe it's something that the conversation has become so normalized that a day like Let's Talk Day doesn't necessarily feel as front and center. Uh, Nazreen, what about you and your observations on social yesterday? Did you feel it was perhaps a little bit less prominent? That's exactly it, Dave. Um, So I feel like in the past, everybody used to post, and I would get bothered by it, honestly, because I know for a fact people would post in the past just because it was trending, and that was mainly the reason why people would post. I mean, you can tell. Um, And I didn't like how it was only one day that this is people would talk about it. But now I feel like it's more um, conversational. It's more uh, year rounded. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, listening to a campaign about mental health. Um, It's it's every few weeks that I find out that there's a new Zoom call about mental health, you know, um, a new conference call, uh, new campaigns every couple of weeks that's happening. So I don't feel like it's just one day, let's talk about it and that's it. Um, I didn't participate in Bell Let's Talk because to be honest, I didn't know, I I totally forgot about it. I didn't see anybody post about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I've noticed. I mean, I used to see people every single second just post, 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 post. And because it was trending, but now I just don't feel like it's as... um, uh, known as it used to be, but I'm so happy that it's year-rounded and not just one day. Mike, so I think you've got consensus from all three of us there to a couple of your questions, which is one, we all had that same observation that it wasn't necessarily as visible or present yesterday, but we also all sort of have some consensus here that it appears perhaps the conversations around mental health have been a little bit more normalized. So any reaction to some, some like pretty broad consensus around the table here? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, um, this is an instance where I think two things can be true, though they are diametrically opposed. And what I mean by that is, uh, I think that Bell has had a lot of bad publicity around themselves for Mm -hmm. over the last couple of years. Uh, You had the whole Lisa Laflamme situation. Uh, Prior to that, they've announced severe uh, uh, cuts to staff numbers. 
sometimes like right in and around Bell Let's Talk Day. And they took a lot of heat for that. And I wonder if on the one hand, that the, the criticism that people felt and, and the negativity that, that sort of uh, people saw, you know, that that, that negative light around Bell uh, maybe impacted people in, in them saying, you know what, I'm I'm not jumping on board with this initiative because, you know, I, I don't I don't trust that company. I don't like what they've done in the past. Mm, some cynicism, but at the same, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, um, I think it's a great point to say that maybe the fact that they have been behind this type of initiative for so long, it's driven so many people sort of out of the shadows and and out of the stigma that's around yeah. mental health and, and massive campaigns by just everyday individual people that I feel like more than ever, one of the messages we see on social media is you know, it is okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. And, and it's important that you, that you have, you know, that there are people out here willing to listen to you, willing to talk to you. That's a message I see more and more every day. And and I think Nisreen made the point uh, as well, that sometimes social media initiatives, I, I think people feel like pressured. I think I, I've certainly been guilty of that where you like, there's just a movement on this one day and everybody changes their profile picture and everybody right. jumps on board with something, mm -hmm. even though 364 other days of the year, they do nothing about it. Yeah. Uh, with mental health, it feels like people really have gotten on board and there's just sort of this normalization of everyone that, that I know just really being willing to talk about it and, not being embarrassed to say that I'm having a hard time or I need help. So I think on one hand, one of the reasons why maybe the numbers didn't seem uh, as high as the past could be people being critical of Bell as a corporation. But at the same time, the initiative itself and all the history behind it may have really just kickstarted it into normalcy that we see year round. Yeah. And so there's not going to be so much focus on one day a year, that it's something that people are just going to be talking about every day. For, for whatever criticism Bell does face around the day, certainly they were one of the biggest national voices who brought this Absolutely. movement forward, and they yes. certainly yep. deserve that credit. Um, okay, as a parting thought here, though, and we'll go we'll go really quick here around the table. Maybe it's possible that heading into the next Bell Let's Talk Day, that maybe they take their own name out of the hashtag and just say hashtag Let's Talk. Do you, th Nizreen, do you think maybe that might get people a little bit less cynical about it i think that's that's a good idea i think that's a great idea just to put it out there that okay we as a company are not part of this let's just talk about the campaign itself ramya what do you think about that idea but perhaps taking their own name out of the hashtag yeah that's fine and it could work but it still seems sometimes like an initiative that they're trying to build up for whatever reason i think the cynicism as you said uh it'll still exist but also want to mention here that it's a process you know talking about mental health there's all these mm -hmm. nuances all the reasons and non-reasons to talk about mental health over social media share with strangers share with people um but yes to get people out of feeling isolated and to talk about their hard times is a process it's not going to be a one day a year thing anyway and it's definitely not going to be a you know two years in a row i did it so yeah. like to make that normal takes a long time and part of the conversation that we've really come across in the last couple of years is there's just not enough mental health resources available to people yeah. it's too hard to get a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a therapist so mm -hmm. that's as the conversation continues to advance perhaps that's where the initiative needs to go now okay we've got people talking about it but how do we give people assistance as they need it mike uh we got to be quick here but sort of uh, the idea of maybe taking bell out of the name and just saying hashtag let's talk I, I agree with that in theory, but I think in reality, you know, there's a branding issue here yeah. and, you know, that's such a big part of business everywhere, every day. Now the word brand is it's, it's not a buzzword. It's a strategy. Yeah. And, and businesses are, you know, they jump on board with that. They're not going to let go of that. I don't think. Mike, it has been delightful having you on board this week. I know we're talking to you again on Monday. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you very much, Dave. Nizreen, you enjoy your weekend as well. Thank you, you too. Ramya, before I wish you a good weekend, you have to tell me what's coming up on Kelly and Ramya today at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv and AMI-audio. 
For sure. We have our Friday staples. So app update with John Beeler and we're bringing up chat GPT again because <laughs> it's passing the test. Like it's not only great, given us great conversation and resources, but it's actually passing the test for business degrees and uh, something else. What is it? Oh, medical licenses. So oh, I'm gosh. really curious about, I know, I'm really curious about That's this. how we're going to solve the doctor shortages. Chat GPT is going Go to solve it for GPT. us. Yeah, not Dr. Google, but Dr. ChatGPT. <laughs> um, also, we have the Chatty Bookshelf with Ryan Huey, and he's giving us sci-fi favorite series you can check out if you're a beginner into the world of sci-fi. He's got some uh, options and recommendations for you. Plus, we have our gardener, Susan Kearney. These are all three weekly conversations, and she's featuring the Lucky Jade plant. Oh, Ramia, what a great Friday show you guys have lined up. It's always a pleasure catching up with you. I'll probably see you in person before you split today, but if I before oh, before yeah. I split today, but if I don't, have a lovely weekend. You too, Dave. That is Ramia Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Ramia, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Coming up next, Karen McKay comes your way from the Center for Equitable Library Access, and she'll run through this year's shortlist for Canada Reads. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Canada Reads. Canada Reads. That's not English. Canada Reads. Maybe I need to read more. Canada Reads has revealed their shortlist. Here to tell you more about it is Karen McKay from the Centre for Equitable Library Access. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. Always fun catching up with you. And Karen, there's some fun continuity here because the last time we spoke, we had the long list for Canada Reads, and now we have the shortlist. So which titles made the cut? There's some great titles on the cut. So the first one I want to tell you about is Greenwood by Michael Christie. It was published in 2019, and it's been nominated for a number of awards. Then we've got Hotline by Dimitri Nazarala, which is a new book. It's published last year. We have Ducks by Kate Beaton, which is a graphic novel, which sadly we're not going to be able to produce in time for the, oh. um, the debates. So... Uh, that one you'll need to go and see if your public library can help you out with. Uh, and then we have Mexican Gothic by uh, Silvia Moreno-Garcia, which is a bestseller published in 2020. And the last one on the list is Stations 11 by Emily St. John Mandel, which is also an award winner. And it was published back in 2014, but it's having a bit of a renaissance because Barack Obama had the book on his 2022 recommended reading list. All right on. So Karen, these are the final five. Where does Canada Reads go from here? What happens now? So the debates take place from March the 27th to the 30th, and you can catch those debates on pretty much all of CBC's uh, platforms. So TV on their website, uh, they're live streaming it. Uh, I think you can watch it on their Facebook. So lots of different ways to get involved and they record them. So if you can't watch them when they go live at 11, you can watch them you know, other times during the, the day. Uh, it's always a great time. There's some great conversations that come out of these these book debates. And it's something that I think if you can put aside the time to read the books and take part in this national conversation, it's a great thing to do. Yeah, you and I talked about it last time. We praised how much we both enjoy it as a concept. It's a really great idea and great to see CBC continuing to spearhead this literacy movement. Karen, speaking of literacy, very important aspect of what you do for a living and for a lot of folks out there in this world. For this week's featured titles, you're taking the theme of Family Literacy Day. So all your selections are books that adults can enjoy reading with their children. So let's go one by one, the, the titles you suggest. The first one being The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Juster. So this might be my favorite book ever. We could oh, probably wow. spend an hour chatting about this book. Yeah, I read this book to my kids and then I reread it with them a number of times. It was a book club selection for them through their some of their schooling. And it is just, the, the best word I can say is delightful. So the, the book main character is Milo. And for Milo, everything is a bore. Uh, but there's this mysterious toll booth that appears in his bedroom. And he decides because he's got nothing better to do that he's going to go through it. And he ends up in this incredibly imaginative world and goes on all of these fabulous adventures. So he visits the land of conclusions and you can only get there by jumping to it. Uh, he learns about time from a TikToking watchdog named Top. And he goes up against the dastardly uh, villains Discord and Din. So what I love about this book is that it is 
truly one of the most imaginative books I've ever read. And I'll tell you two things that are my favorite. At one point in the, the book, Milo is, um, he meets a conductor whose name is Chroma and Chroma plays the sunset. The orchestra plays the sunset, plays all the colors in the world actually. And um, the, the imagery in this passage of this book just is, I just love it. Every time I see a sunset, I think of this particular passage in the book. The The silver bells are the stars in the night sky. And it's just really beautiful and lovely and creative. But you can talk to your kids about things like what would be, what are the the relations between beauty is it, and music and color and oh, joy? Wow. It's just a fabulous book. The other one is that one of the lands they visit, people don't grow up, they grow down. Their heads remain at the same height their entire life and their their legs grow down to the ground. And the reason for that is that way they never have to change their point of view. So there's just all these really wonderful jumping off points for fabulous conversations. And I think that's what makes a great book. You can read it just for enjoyment, just for entertainment. Uh, but if you want, you can get into these really wonderful conversations with your kids. And because the book is so creative, it kind of gives your kids creativity license just to really lean into some of these interesting ideas. It's full of puzzles and wordplay. It's it's just a delightful book. One of my I, absolute favorites. I am going to have to check this one out and see if my sister uh, has this one for my niece because it sounds like something oh, they would both adore. Uh, Karen, th this next one is celebrating its 30th anniversary. It's The Giver by Lois Lowry. Yeah, so this also would be in my top five kids' books. Uh, it was published in 1993, as you said. It won the Newbery Award for Children's Literature. It's aimed at kids probably grades six to nine. I don't know that I'd read it with kids any younger than that because it does have a heavy uh, subject. So it's a dystopian novel, but we start out and the the um, place that the novel takes place is really, you think it's utopia, but as you sort of learn more about it, you understand sort of the underpinning. So this this community has no hunger, no disease, no fear. The elderly are all very tenderly cared for. Every child has wonderful parents. Uh, but you start to learn more about what it's cost them to create this university. The main character is Jonas. He's waiting for his ceremony of 12. And that's when all of the 12 year olds in the community learn what their lifelong professions will be. And Jonas selected to be the receiver of memories. And what he finds out is that that one person bears the burden of all of history, all of the memories, all of the emotions. They're the only ones allowed to access books, and they are the ones that are the um, advisors to the community of elders. No one else in the community understands things like joy or pain or misery. They don't understand creativity. They have no memories of anything, really. And so Jonah's first memory that he receives is sliding down a snow-covered hill on a sled, which is lovely. He's never known what a sled is or hill or snow or any of those sorts of things. He's never seen a rainbow, but he's also never been exposed to ideas of hunger or war or pain. And so he has to deal with all these emotions with no one else mm. in the community to support him. Uh, it's, it's a fabulous book for conversations. It's um, one of those books that sort of leads you right into the conversations that the kids are struggling with at that time about good and evil, about right and wrong. What role do we have in determining things for ourselves? What role does community play versus self? Where does that line get drawn? Mm. Fabulous book. And the ability to learn about what it is to feel that sometimes it's yes. okay to feel good and sometimes it's okay to feel bad. They're both, they're both reasonable feelings. Karen, I've got to hold you to about a minute each on these last two, but Forever okay. Birchwood, a novel by Danielle Daniel. Right. So this one was actually suggested by Teresa um, Power, our content librarian. Mm -hmm. And she's, yeah, she loves this book. The main character is a girl named Wolf who lives in a northern mining community. She has three best friends and they create this beautiful hideaway in the woods. It's a treehouse called Birchwood. Uh, but then Things start to happen in town with the mining company and with uh, logging companies, and they learn that they're going to need to protect this space. Wolf's mother doesn't understand the connection that Wolf has with nature. She doesn't really engage with the family's indigenous roots, but the grandmother is really a fabulous character who helps the young girls uh, figure out how they're going to take on the possible destruction of Birchwood. There's a feisty librarian character in the book, which I always love. <laughs> uh, yeah, it gives you a chance to talk about friendships and values and indigenous uh, roots, nature, preservation, conservation, all of those sorts of things all wrapped up in one, while also talking about the really important friendships that that young girls in particular form at that age. So Karen, I've really got to hold you to 60 seconds on this one, but I know it's an important title, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. It, it is. This was a debut novel, came out in 2017. 
Uh, it's about a young girl named Star. She's a 16-year-old African-American girl who goes to a prestigious white prep school in the, a predominantly white area of town. Uh, she's driving home with her friend and sometimes crush, Khalil. They get stopped by a police officer. Khalil's black. He gets asked to step out of the car. The police officer thinks he's moving towards a gun, and he shoots and kills Khalil. Star becomes the star witness. There's a, an investigation that happens. The grand jury overturns the conviction and there's riots that happen. This book talks about all the things we've been talking about for the last couple of years about privilege, race relations, the role of media and media bias in our understanding of what's happening in our world, the role of culture, code switching, justice, equity, all of those things, what to do with our rage. It's a first person account, which I think really resonates with kids. This is for teens, this book. And it's a fabulous book, great conversations. Karen, you always do such an excellent job curating these readings for us. Thank you for all the work that you and your colleagues do. My pleasure, happy Family Literacy Day. That's Karen McKay, Communications Manager for the Center for Equitable Library Access. That's all the time we have for the show today. I just said a big thank you to Karen. I should offer a big thank you to you out there in the viewer vortex. So until we talk again on Monday morning, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. But before we say goodbye today, we also say thank you to the people who bring this show to the air every single day. Let's roll those credits. Host, Dave Brown. Co-host producer, Alex Smythe. Sports reporter, Brock Richardson. Contributors, Rami Amuthan and Nazreen Abdel-Majid. Senior show producer, Andrika Delanerol. Visual producer, Bruce Beclarian. Producers, Paul Daniel, Marianne Dion-Jones. Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Director, Anastasia Spalding-Stenhouse. Control room operators, Daniel Panamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby. Manager of Operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of Live Production, Paula Deneen. Director of Content Development, Kara Nye. Vice President of Programming, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media Inc. NAMI Original Production. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.